Now, I know a lot of you guys know that I'm an Oakland A's fan to the core, but, you know, it just warms my little heart to see everybody representing the Giants here. So I want to give a shout out and congratulate all you Giants fans. It's been a big week, so hey, congratulations, Giants. Oh my gosh. Hey. Dude. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that just happened. Terrence? What? Are, are you okay? Are you okay? Oh my gosh, Scott. You never, you're not going to believe what happened. So I was driving over here this morning and minding my own business. No, no worries in the world. And then this Yahoo just gets on up, gets get behind me. And he's just tailing me for like the whole way over here. And I was like, what is he doing? Right? I was like, you want to know what I did? You want to know what, what, you, what I did? What did you do? So, you, you know. I moved over, I let him pass by, and then I just went right back in behind him, and I was just right on him, and I made sure that he knew that I was there. Really? You tailed him? Yes, because I wanted to make sure that he knew that I didn't like what he was doing, and to teach him a lesson. Teach him a lesson. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you did that, because that's actually connected to uh, the sixth commandment, which we're going to talk about today, uh, which is, uh, thou shall not murder. I didn't murder the guy. I just wanted to get back at him. That's all. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. That's good. You didn't. You didn't kill him. That's good. <laughs> you fulfilled the commandment. But there's more to the commandment than just whether you killed him or not. Oh. Well. Okay. Well. Yeah. Well, I'll have to be sure to listen to that podcast and sermon because I need to hear more about that. I think. But yeah. right now, I'm late for teaching kids zone. But you know, before okay. I go, I, I should probably do my. My calming down exercise, because I'm a little wound up. So. Yeah. You want to kind of deal breathe, with that anger. Breathe in. Yeah. Breathe Thanks, out. Karen. Thank you. A little anger management going to be going on in Kid Zone today. Don't worry. Your kids are perfectly safe. This was just a skit for a sermon illustration. So this is not, Terrence is all good. But if you've been around for a while, you know we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. And what we've been doing here, you know, the Ten Commandments, it's important to understand. You're going to hear me say this. If you've been here, you've heard me say this before. It's important for us to understand that these Ten Commandments were given by God for good. For good. Sometimes people have history or experience that make them react negatively to this thing called Ten Commandments. Sometimes people feel the commandments are all about beating people up or making me feel guilty. I'm such a bad person. So then we react with a kind of a critical spirit. Like we hear scripture and it's like, oh man, when we stand in a posture of, of, of being against scripture, or even when we're critical, we feel like our posture is critical to what the Bible has to say, it makes it impossible for us to receive the good news that God speaks to us in the Bible. So if, this, if, in, if in this series you find yourself going, oh man, Ten Commandments, man, that's really, that's, that's, that's tough. Try to interrupt that thought with the sense that God gives these to a people for their good which is the major thrust of this entire set of messages, that God is showing the way for people to live in right, liberating, and loving relationships with God, and then with themselves, and then with others. I mean, whether you're a Christian a long time, or whether you're not a Christian, I mean, doesn't everybody want to grow to have healthy, expansive, loving relationships? joyful relationships with other people. 
that lead to a fulfilling life. I think that's what people crave in society. And what God is saying, look at this. God is saying, I understand human nature and let me give you 10 ways that you can be in relationship with me and with other people for your good. Hey, it can be tough to live a transformed life, to personally live a transformed life. I mean, when you think about relationships, you think about being in relationship with other people, wouldn't it be easier if everybody else changed around us? I mean, wouldn't it be easier if everybody else changed and shifted instead of us? But the way of discipleship and the way of growing is our own heart and what God is calling us to do to change and to be transformed by his spirit. And that's what these 10 commandments are calling us to do, to live a transformed life so that our hearts, our very selves, are changed and transformed. All right, so let's get into this one a little bit. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it if you want. But if not, I'm just going to read it because it's one of the shortest verses in all of Scripture. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says this. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. We're going to look at this. Now, you're probably thinking in your own mind, I don't know how this can apply to me because I've not really murdered someone. How can this possibly apply to me? Let me share a story with you about something that happened this week. Stuff like this always happens when I'm trying to prepare a message. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is so tough. I think I'm going to share about this on Sunday. I was driving into a gas station and I pull up uh, and I just, uh, you know, put gas in my car. You know, it's kind of clear where I am. No problem. I'm just fueling up and it's, it's all good. And I was just finishing up and I hopped back in my car, put my seatbelt on and I was ready to pull out. And then there's this guy and he pulls right up in front of me. Now he is flying into the gas station. And then you know how like there's a pump right here and this is where I'm parked. And then there's another pump right in front of me. And there's like tons of open pumps. Okay. There's like a lot of places where he can pull in. But this guy comes flying in and he pulls in and he comes right up against the front of my car, okay? And I'm like, dude, what's your problem? Like, what's up? Okay, so then he's got these dark sunglasses on and he just stares at me. I'm like, man, I'm just feeling like this kind of, I can't see his eyes, but he's super stone-faced. So I'm like, what's going on? Now, it feels totally aggressive to me. Now, his passenger actually gets out of the car and starts pumping the gas. His passenger, by the way, is, is a woman. And I'm like, dude, man, what's up? First of all, you drive up on me. And then, like, your woman friend's pumping the gas? Like, dude, what's up? But he's just, like, looking at me with the sunglasses. It feels very aggressive. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this happen. But all of a sudden, my adrenaline begins to kick in. I begin to notice that my anger begins to rise. My heart begins to beat a little bit faster. And then I think, man, I know what I'm going to do. I'm done pumping gas. 
I have to back up because guy is guy's right in front of me. But I'm gonna back up. But then when I pull my car out, I'm gonna get as close to his side mirror as I can. <laughs> I think, man, if I had a big truck. I just, man, if I had one of those monster trucks, they have the cow palace, I'd back up and I'd roll on this fool. And I'd just crunch this guy's car. You guys are thinking like, oh my gosh, my pastor's got anger issues. <laughs> what I'm talking about is vengeance. Vengeance. How many times in our thoughts, how many times in our day, something happens And it's that feeling of vengeance. Not just anger, but vengeance that rises up in us. And we think about it, and we dwell on it, and we even maybe even fantasize about acting on it. You shall not murder. Jesus interprets this passage, and he takes it way out of the realm of just killing someone. He actually touches on the idea of vengeance. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be thrown in the house, will be, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is drawing out in this passage in Matthew 5, this idea of vengeance. There's someone that makes me angry. And then when I imagine and act out of that anger with a thirst for vengeance, Jesus says, watch out for that. Be careful that you do not act out of vengeance. See, Jesus is talking about anger that's produced in our thought life or even in our language. You fool. But then Jesus offers this way forward. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He's teaching out of this sixth commandment. He's teaching and saying, what does this mean? Jesus is saying that this commandment about murder, it's about more than life and death. It's about our anger and the temptation to act out of our anger for vengeance. But going down the road of vengeance will only lead to death. But there's another road. And that road is life-affirming. Jesus says, figure out what's going on in that situation where you feel that anger rising up in you. Figure out what's going on. Then go, be reconciled, and live in restored relationships with other people. The Apostle Paul also teaches about this in the New Testament. This same passage. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, He says this in chapter 13. For the commandments, writes Paul, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. 
you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up, by, up, they are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. See, my friends, with following Jesus Christ, it comes back to how we love. It comes back to how we love people. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loved us so much that he died for the penalty of our sins so that we are called to live a life of love in the world. And love is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. Love and the affirmation of life is the fulfillment of what the Sixth Commandment is. Thou shall not murder. There's a woman from the 15th century named Julian of Norwich, and she was an early Christian writer, one of the few Christian writers of the medieval period. And she wrote out of a huge heart of God's love and compassion and faithfulness. And Julian writes this, the greatest honor we can give God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. Let me read that again. The greatest honor that we can give God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. Every day, we have the opportunity to live gladly and to live in God's love because God loves us. Every day, we have that choice. We have the choice in these small encounters. Are we going to live out of vengeance and anger? Or are we going to live out of a place of love that leads to life and a firm life itself? Are we going to live out of harried, frustrated, and stressful places where sometimes we feel like our fuse is too short? Or are we going to live out of places that are joyful and expansive that lead to freedom and gladness? Because we live in the profound knowledge that God loves us and that God loves you. That God loves you. Now, sometimes I'm with people and I see this struggle and the tension of this very commandment in their relational lives. See, when I talk with people and when people come and talk with me and and we we have a time of counseling, about stuff that's rough that's going on in their life. People aren't today dealing with actually killing somebody else. What people are really dealing with is cutting relationships off in their world. What I'm dealing with and when I'm talking with people is people are dealing with actually the temptation to kill relationships that they're really struggling with because of so much tension and because of things that are unresolved. When Evelyn and I were in um, Bangladesh, we were learning the Bangladeshi language. And I'm always a big fan of learning language and idioms because I think it gives us an insight into culture and how people treat each other. And I learned this idiom, Dakahoina, it's a Bangla. And what it literally means is cannot be seen. Cannot be seen. And it's a phrase, and it's used for people 
in conflicted relationship. And what it means is, if someone's in conflict with somebody else, what they're going to do is they're going to not cause this person to be seen. So when we're walking down the street and we're passing each other, if I'm conflicted with you, I'm going to walk on by as if you don't exist. Because you cannot be seen. That is the result of a broken relationship. Am I killing somebody? No, I'm not killing them. But am I killing the relationship? Absolutely. And that's what I see sometimes. How are we killing relationships versus the way of Jesus, which is how are we affirming relationships? How are we affirming life? How are we entering into those really tough places of reconciliation and love? When we center our lives on Jesus Christ, he is the way that calls us to a life of forgiveness because he has forgiven us. Jesus Christ is the one that calls us into life because he himself is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus Christ is the one who has come into the world that we might have life and have it abundantly. It's Jesus Christ who forgives us of all of the sin and brokenness in our lives. And then in that love and in that complete forgiveness for everything we've done, he calls us to then enter into forgiveness and life-affirming relationships with other people. That's tough. That's the personal transformation that I'm talking about. It's the trusting in God with our lives so that we can say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. Live in me so that I can live your life in the world, in the relationships that need your love and your forgiveness and your reconciliation. And then, when we live in God's love, we're freed. We're freed from trying to manipulate or control other people. We are free to respond to other people, not out of anger or out of vengeance, or how they've taken power from us, but we're free to love them because our eternal heavenly father who loves us, fills us with all that we need to live in this world. First John chapter three teaches this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, because we love each other. That's how we know we've passed from death to life, from murder to life. We know that because we love one another. So I'm going to offer five ways that we might affirm each other in love. I'll go through these really briefly. And if you're familiar with an author named Gary Chapman, you're going to recognize these things. Gary Chapman is a pastor who's been pastoring and counseling people for about 35 years. And he says, hey, you want to grow in your capacity to love people? I'm going to give you five categories for the ways that people love each other. And as we pay attention to these five ways that people give and receive love, 
it puts a finer point on what it means to love people and how we receive love. And as we pay attention to loving people in these ways, I think it can enhance how we care for and love for people in the world. What Chapman's big thing is, he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And his big thing is, we all speak a different kind of language for how we love each other. And the key is to learn the way that someone else receives love, if we can know how they receive love and the language that they speak, it will help us to love them in a more intentional kind of way. So I'm going to go through these very quickly. If you want to talk about more with these after service, I'd be happy to talk with you about them. So I'm just going to go over them very quickly and it might just blow right by. But Chapman is saying that there are really five key ways that people love each other. And one of those ways is the words of affirmation. There are some people that are just very, very wired to receive love through words of encouragement, through words of affirmation. It can be verbally spoken or it can be a note. But you might be one of these people if in your world someone says something very specific about you and says, hey, when you did this, that was so great. It was really needed on the team. If that's a way that you really feel loved and affirmed, then maybe the language by which you're loved is by words of affirmation. But your love language might not be that. It might be acts of service. That you really feel loved when someone comes alongside you and does something to help you do something that you're really trying to get done. Or maybe you've got a whole list of chores in your household. You're like, oh my gosh, I got so many things I got to do. And then when somebody else does one of those chores, you just feel really loved and honored. If that's the case, then maybe your love language is acts of service. Maybe your love language is physical touch. Are you a hugger? Do you like it when people come up and hug you? If you do then maybe your love language is physical touch. You feel really affirmed and loved by that. Now, you know if your love language is not physical touch because, okay, I don't have a confession. My love language is physical touch. So I'm going to come up and hug you. But don't worry about it. I know who you, the other huggers are in GRX. So you're safe. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to hug the pastor. You come in and I'm going to hug you. If you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hug anybody here, this is not your language. And don't worry about it. But what Chapman is trying to get at is if one person's love language is this, like physical touch, and someone else's love language is words of affirmation, they're going to miss each other even though they try to love each other. And this is where I'm, trying, and where I'm going with this. Pay attention to what someone else's love language is. Because if your love language is words of affirmation, but I'm a hugger, and I'm going to come in with like a big hug it's not going to be loving you. And if my commitment is to love you, and I recognize that you appreciate a word of affirmation, then I'm going to speak a word to you that's specific to your gifts and who you are and who God's making you to be and how God is using you in our community to build up this body. And I'm going to say, thank you. Thank you for serving here. 
and I'm not going to hug you. <laughs> All right, so that's words of affirmation, acts of service, that's physical touch, quality time. Some people love quality time spent. And that doesn't mean sitting next to this person watching television. That doesn't count as quality time watching the 49ers while we're sitting on the couch. That's not quality time. Quality time is paying undivided attention to the other person, talking to them, listening to them, looking them in the eye, and putting down your phone. That's what quality time is. And then the last love language of the five, receiving gifts. You ever have people in your life that are just real gifty? They just give you stuff. They just want to give you stuff. And then maybe we're like, no, 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 I don't want to receive it, I don't want to receive it. Maybe that's their love language and they're trying to love you that way. And the most loving thing we can do in relationship with them and to learn to speak their language is to actually receive the gift they're giving and then to say, thank you. And then if you recognize that, to then respond and to give them a gift. Don't just buy some random thing because if your gift is this love language, it's actually thinking of something specific. It doesn't even have to be expensive. You can even make something. But it's that physical object that says, hey, I'm thinking about you and this made me think of you and this is how I'm loving you. This is how I'm loving you. When the scripture tells us, thou shall not murder, it's more than just physically killing people. It's what's going on in our internal life. And not just acting in and out of vengeance, but way beyond that. Jesus says, hey, you want to come after me? You want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? I'm going to call you into a real transformation. I'm going to call you to love people. And I'm going to call you to love people not for just the way that you want to be loved. I'm calling you to love people and pay attention to who they are and love them for who they are. Let your love be outwardly focused. When you do that, it affirms the life in the other person and it also affirms your life too. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. May we be people filled with that abundant life. Let me offer a prayer for us. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that every day you give, give us the opportunity to love other people in your name. And so Jesus, I ask that you would fill us by your Holy Spirit and God lead us to those places where we can look at other people and love them. Love them, God, and affirm the life that you have put in them and that you have put in us. God, may you be glorified and honored and may we live gladly for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.